This is what the Word of God has to say. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. The level of care that you give to something is directly related to the danger it possesses. What I mean by that is if you're, if you're carrying around something that, that could be potentially of tremendous impact, then you would be very, very carefully. I guarantee you that if you gave me a sealed box and told me that this box contains 20 rattlesnakes, be careful and don't drop it. I'm going to be very careful and not drop it. Because the danger that that box holds demands that I approach it with an intensity that maybe something of less value or less danger would not demand. The cancer that is consuming the church today is a lack of concern for the danger of sin and the consequences that sin brings. I want to say that again. The cancer that is consuming the church today is a lack of concern for the danger of sin and the consequences that sin brings. The cancer grows in our homes and in our personal lives as we grow comfortable, familiar with things we know are wicked and contrary to the will of God, but we justify their presence in our lives, in our homes, even in our churches by saying they, they really aren't that bad. Or we justify them by saying we know other people that do them and, and they seem to be good folks. Or we just say, well, you know, as our children said to us, everybody else is doing it. This cancer grows in our nation as well. As our nation grows ever more comfortable with open rebellion against the goodness of God and God's created order and God's authority to declare what is right and wrong, the cancer grows. The great evil of our day is abortion. Now, from that flows a host of other evils. Euthanasia, genocide, human trafficking. You see, because if any life is no longer sacred, then no life is sacred. Today, my attention will be given primarily to the issues connected to the sanctity of life. But there is a general principle here that I think is worth uh, pointing out. And that is all sin... All sin is dangerous. All sin brings odious consequences. And when you grow indifferent to one sin, it takes root and grows until you are indifferent to much more serious sin. I want to be very plain spoken. Abortion is wicked and abortion is sin. 
Whenever man rejects the sanctity of human life under the authority of God and instead makes judgments over what lives are more valuable than others, what lives are worthy of life and what lives are not worthy of life, it is wicked. And this wickedness includes certainly abortion. It includes abortion for any reason, but in our day we even have things that are, are growing like abortion for sex selection, abortion to, uh, uh, to snuff out the life of children uh, who are disabled, euthanasia, slavery, human trafficking. Presently, the culture and political trends around us are rapidly moving toward radical secularism. Above all, most every other thing the secular world demands, the right, the privilege, the ability to murder babies in the womb for any reason at any time and even to demand that the government pay for it is the sacrament of the secular world today. More and more as our world grows more hostile to the truth of God and the people of faith, there will be a corresponding demand that the church and Christians capitulate and bow the knee to the murderous demands of our world. And I want to say this morning that not only must we not do so, but I think the Bible calls us to actively oppose and to actively expose sin for what it is. Now, before I go any further today, I, I want to say a word of grace. I say this word of grace every time I preach a sanctity of life message. So hear me carefully. There are many today in the room and many today that are joining us online or will watch this sermon in months and years to come that have personally been affected by abortion. Some of you have had abortions. Others of you have had family members who have had abortions. Others of you have even considered abortion. The latest, the latest statistics that I found of about abortion in the United States indicate that nearly one in four women in the United States is about 23.7% will have an abortion by the age of 45. So in any crowd of people, that means there's a very high chance that somebody hearing this message today, this is not an academic thought, this is not some separated and, and able just to think about it um, uh, impersonally, this has affected your life intimately, personally. And I intend today to, as best I can, make the case for life as passionately as I can and, and to make the case for what sin is, the wickedness of it, the consequence of it, and all the rest. But I, but I want you to know that as I do, My intention this morning is not to bring about condemnation or, or shame upon you. I want you to know, I want you to understand that my heart is not to condemn or to accuse. In fact, you need to understand anytime a faithful gospel preacher preaches passionately about sin, our purpose always is not to call shame, because shame alone does nothing but condemn. Our purpose always is to draw the sinner to righteousness, to restoration, to Jesus. There is no sin. Hear me. There is no sin but that of rejecting Jesus, that Jesus will not 
forgive. So I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. There is forgiveness in Jesus. There is restoration in the gospel. There is, there is grace here today. When we are confronted with the wickedness of the world, I think in this passage that we read today, there are two responses that Paul is calling us to have. Now, you'll hear me say as I'm preaching today that this comes in the context of Paul calling Christians to live righteously, to live holy, to put away the things of the world. So th this verse is not isolated. It's in, the, in a greater context of of living according to the children of light and as those who have been redeemed by the gospel. But in this verse, verse 11 of chapter 11, I think there are two things, in particularly in responding to a wicked world that we live in, that Paul is calling the church. And here they are. Number one, we must, before any other thing, be holy. It is possible for you today to be right on the issue of abortion and live a life wickedly in other areas. And before we stand up and declare what others ought to do, we first ought to bow our knees before a holy God and live righteously before him. Number one, be holy. Number two, expose sin. In other words, we're not called just to sit in this room and go in a shame that the world's going to hell. Now, we're to actively get up, expose, interact, call out sin for what it is, not because we take any joy in condemnation, but because we know that that sin will destroy. And for the love of our neighbors, for the love of our world, we beg them to turn away from what is killing them. Let's begin with living holy. Paul says in verse 11, very, very simply, and do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness. Sin, wickedness. He's calling Christians to live righteously. Paul begins this section with the command to be imitators of God. If you look up in the, in the previous part of the chapter in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Act like your father is what he's saying in verse 1. In verse 8, he calls Christians to be children of the light. This is, he's not saying that we ought to try to do something that we are not. In fact, what he's really saying is behave and act like who you really are. Be children of the light. Where he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light of, in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. He's speaking to men and women who had been under the wrath of God, who had participated in all the wickedness of the world, but now have been saved and made children of God. Let me, let me tell you something. Whatever your story is today, some of you were saved as children. You need to praise the Lord for that. That is the gift of God's grace in your life. Others of you were saved as adults. Now, if you were saved as kids, one of the blessings of your life is that because you came to know Jesus early, the likelihood of it is you don't have some really, really dramatic, wicked sin in your life, at least publicly known. Somebody say amen. 
If you came to know the Lord as an adult, there may be some public wickedness in your life. But regardless of when you came to know Jesus, the reality of it is prior to salvation, you were children of darkness, choosing to live and to pursue your own rebellion over the righteousness of God. But when you were saved, you were made a child of God, a child of light. And Paul is saying, listen, you ought to live like who you are. Put away those things of your former nature. Live according to who God has made you. If you honestly read this passage, your first instinct may not to be to identify with the children of God, but with the sons of disobedience, particularly those of you who are saved later in life. You're saved later in life. You may have participated in acts of sexual immorality. You may have done things that were impure before God. You may have been covetous and satisfied with how God provided for you. You may have desired to have what God had provided for another. You may have given honor and even worship to things other than God. And you might say, listen, I, I'm more identifying with the sons or the children of darkness than I am the children of light. But the truth is, all of us once were sons of disobedience. And the truth is that if we are saved by Jesus, we have been made children of the light. Now, there's a recognition here that even still we struggle. We struggle. And so Paul is calling us out, dear friends. Chase after. Live for who you are, not who you once were. Paul is calling the redeemed not to live according to who you were prior to salvation, but to live according to who you are as a child of God. Through salvation in Jesus, you are no longer under the wrath of God. Therefore, live as a testimony of your salvation. You are children of the light. You have been set free from the deeds of disobedience. You do have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. In Jesus, you are children of the light. Now, what, does, what relationship does that have with sanctity of life? Dear friends, standing for the sanctity of life does not start with a political campaign. Somebody say amen. Standing for the sanctity of life does not begin with voting for a particular candidate. Standing for the sanctity of life begins with living righteously before a holy God. You cannot understand the sanctity of life until you stand before the one who gave all life and say, you are sovereign over all things and I bow my life to you. Live righteously before God is where it begins. And there's a, there's, a, there's a negative dynamic to that. Not only do we choose to live righteously before God, but we also must actively reject wickedness. Paul says in verse 11 that the deeds of darkness are unfruitful deeds. It doesn't mean that these deeds are without consequence or without cause. They don't matter. No. What he, say, what he means is that such deeds have no value or worth in connection to pleasing God. Don't miss this warning. In fact, if you're letting your mind wander for a minute, tune back in with me right here. Don't miss this warning. You can spend your life being busy and active on worthless, fruitless deeds. 
Pursuing what pleases the flesh will produce nothing that is worth pleasing God. There are many of you today that are busy. That's not the issue. Your day is full. But it's full of fruitless deeds. At best, some of you are filling your life up with things that are of no consequence. They'll just be burned up in the fire of judgment. But some of you are giving your life to things that literally are, are, are fruitless deeds, that they are darkness, they are wickedness, they are sinful. Children of light are those who have an inheritance in the kingdom of God and must therefore give every part of their life, their energy, their effort, and their attention to the fruitful deeds of the kingdom. I was reading a sermon this week by Charles Spurgeon. Now, if you've ever read any of his stuff, he speaks much more harshly than I speak to you. And he was talking about, he was preaching about the Bible, and giving attention to the Bible, and he, he said to his congregation, he said, you all will spend hours reading novels, but you won't spend five minutes reading the Bible. He says, you'll spend hours reading novels, and what do you have but nothing but froth in your mouth? You've never tasted the true meat the true substance of truth, fruitless deeds. Verse 11, in connection with what Paul has just said in verses 3 through 6, is a clear call to reject wickedness. Living righteously before the Lord sets you in opposition to the world. You cannot be a friend of the world and be a friend of God. Live righteously and actively reject wickedness. Both of those are required to be those who live holy. Now, the connection to sanctity of life is before we move into what is next, dear friends, the church must first be a living witness of righteousness. It would, it would bless the church more and I think the kingdom of God more if we would give more passion and concern for our lives of holiness than our political lives. That we would post less on Facebook about who we think is up and down and we'd read more in the Scripture about what is right and wrong. Come on, somebody. That we'd get more intense about the righteousness of God than the political winds of our day. I'm telling you, the political parties of the day will cease to be someday. But Jesus will be on his throne forever and ever and ever. And what is right today will be right in eternity. Give your heart and passion to that, friends. Live righteously, number two, expose sin. Now, I put this intentionally second, because if you will not live righteously, you cannot do exposing sin. We like to expose sin, but don't do it unless you're living righteously. Live righteously, secondly, expose sin. Look at what he says in verse 11. But instead, in other words, you're not giving yourself to fruitless deeds, but instead, this is what you do. Even expose them. Expose sin. Two things here. Number one, dear friends, we need to actively identify what is contrary to the will of God. What is sin? What is wickedness? 
Paul's instruction in verse 11 is more than just a call to be isolated from the wicked world. There's a natural instinct to do that, to pull away from the wickedness of the world. The more the world grows secular and hostile to the gospel, the more we back up, the more we insulate ourselves. There's a, there's a tendency, there's a natural draw to that. That's not what Paul is calling us to here. Rather, he calls Christians to be separate from the world in action. In other words, don't live like the world. Live as children of the light. Be separate from the world in action, but connected to the world in witness. It is very important that you understand this distinction. To be separate from the world in action means there should be a recognizable difference between your life and the life of those who are worldly. Did you hear me? There ought to be a recognizable difference between your life and the life of those who are worldly. In the way you speak, what comes out of your mouth, in your deeds, in the way you act, in your attitude toward the world, in your attitude toward authority, your attitude toward the church, your attitude toward God, your attitude in general, in what you give yourself to, your attention, your money, your time, your service, there ought to be a recognizable difference between you and the world. But we ought to be, we must be separated from the world in our actions but connected to the world and our witness in that Christians must be the light of truth in a wicked world. Friends, you cannot bear witness unless you have a connection to those you are witnessing to. If we isolate ourselves, we remove ourselves, how in the world are we going to testify to the world? We must speak truth when it is unwelcomed. We must call sin Sin. We must be willing to confront our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and our friends and our family members and say, yes, that is sin and wickedness. In order to be connected to the world and witness, it requires a willingness to engage with our community and our culture. It requires that we recognize what sin is and what is wickedness. And it requires that we refuse to ignore wickedness and sin. Now, here's the truth. The world would prefer to silence those who are actively identifying sin. But this has always been true since the fall of man in Genesis 3. The world is actively trying to silence those who are speaking sin. But before you get too agitated about that, the reality of it is many of us are happy to be silent about it. Because if you speak to your coworker about the sin in their life, you know it's going to put a wedge in that relationship. If you speak to that family member that you go to their house on Thanksgiving every week, every year, you, about sin in their life, you know that's going to put, make the turkey not taste so good. And so we're happy. Oh, we'll talk about how we're being silenced. But dear friends, the greater silence in the church is our own self-imposed silence. When we speak about the great wickedness of abortion in our day. We must not be silent. For the unborn babies in danger of being murdered in their mother's wombs, let us be undefatigable and our witness to the wickedness of abortion. We cannot remain silent. We can't remain silent. Don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of wickedness, but instead even expose them. 
The image there is taking a light and shining it on it and saying, see what is happening here. We must actively identify, but that also requires that we actively oppose. In verse 13, Paul speaks of exposing wickedness with light. The imagery here is of, is of exposing what is being done in dark in an effort to oppose it. Friends, wickedness loves darkness. Sin loves darkness. Wickedness loves darkness and lies. Wickedness hates truth and light. What are we called to do? We are called to expose wickedness. Let it be known for what it is. It is sin. Call it for what it is. Let it be seen for the destruction it brings. Let it be shown for the rebellion against God that it is. Listen, I want to be very honest with you here. This is scary stuff. One of the things I have found to be the most effective thing in pastoral ministry is saying what something is with the right word. It is explosive. I had a couple in my office one time, and the sentence I used to them, I said, the question is not whether or not it's right or wrong. The question is, are you adulterers or are you fornicators? Can you believe they didn't come back after that? I didn't say it with anger. But I wanted them to understand, we're talking about sin here. And that sin is destroying you. It's destroying your family. So we can't patter around about how we can best live our lives and help this and that. We need to be very clear. There's destruction here. Call it for what it is. Expose it. Turn on the light and say, here it is. We cannot be content just to have a right understanding of God's creation, of God's, uh, uh, what he declares as sin, of what he says is righteousness, and we cannot be content with having a right understanding of the will of God. For the sake of the weak, the vulnerable, the opposed, we must not only have a right understanding, we must also turn on the light of truth and expose it. For the sake of the abused, Oppose wickedness for the sake of the unborn, dear friends. We must oppose and expose it as sin. Last year, probably didn't get much news play because it happened in March, and something else happened in March last year a pandemic. Last year in March, 94-year-old man by the name of Frederick Carl Berger was peacefully living out his life in Tennessee. Since he legally immigrated to the United States, he had made a living building wire-stripping machines. But his peaceful retirement years were abruptly interrupted when federal prosecutors charged him with crimes 
associated with being a Nazi concentration camp guard during World War II and participating in some of the most horrific abuses of prisoners of of his camp uh, during the last days of the war. Now, Berger had not hidden the fact that he had worked, that he had immigrated from Germany, and he was still receiving a pension from his time, his military service during World War II. He'd been able to avoid any consequences for his wartime crimes because it was not known what he had actually done during the war. But a little bitty four-by-three, I think, index card would change his life. You see, in the last days of the war, the, the Nazi, Nazis were trying to dispose of the prisoners that they had imprisoned in the concentration camps. And so Berger, along with many others, took the prisoners in the camps that they were in charge of and they crammed them in horribly inhumane ways onto transport ships. Many people believe that the plan was that they were going to take those ships out and scuttle them to sink them, thus killing all those on board and erasing all of those prisoners. These were the very last days of the war, and uh, unbeknownst to to uh, to the British Royal Navy, they didn't know that those ships were filled with prisoners, actually bombed the bay where they were being, uh, where they were, and sunk two of those ships, killing almost everyone on board. After the war was over, of course, everyone scattered, Berger being one of those. He and his wife and daughter went to Canada first and then were able to immigrate into the United States, legally did that because nothing was known about his participation in those dark days. But those ships that were sunk, those last days of the war, they were raised just a few years after the end of the war. Germany raised those ships to to put them back into into maritime use. And when they raised one of those ships, they found about 2,000 index cards. That those index cards held the personnel information of all the guards and staff that ran the concentration camp. And Berger's name was on one of those cards. Now that was just a few years after the, the war, but all these years since, some 75 years since, that process has been churning, identifying who were on those cards, identifying where those people went. Uh, correlating the the actions that they had done so that in March of last year, federal prosecutors were able to knock on 94-year-old Berger's door, arrest him for war crimes, and deport him to Germany. Now, some of you might say, you ought to just leave the old man alone. I mean, doesn't that seem unfair? 94-year-old, grandfather of two, he was a widower, and the father of one lived his life, for all accounts, had lived a peaceful life in the United States of America. Doesn't it seem that we ought to just let bygones be bygones and let the old man live out his last few years in peace? And the answer to that is no. 
Because the six million people that were murdered by the Nazis cry out for justice. The millions more that were treated inhumanely cry out for justice. And so even though it has been over seven decades, even though Berger was in his 90th decade of life, even though he likely will not live until his trials are over, it was right, it is right to go through the legal process to say this is a criminal. This man deserves to stand in, 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 before a court and answer for the crimes in which he has has committed. So a 94-year-old man was arrested and deported and will stand trial. The, The lives of the six million people who were killed in the Holocaust call out for justice. But dear friends, listen to me carefully. In the United States of America, since 1973, when Roe v. Wade was decided, there have been over six times more than all of the people killed in the Holocaust murdered in the United States of America. Sixty-one million babies. Do their voices not cry out for justice? Does their innocent blood not declare we must speak what is sin and wickedness in our world? In 2017, these are the last numbers available. There were 800,000 abortions. Just want to put that in a tangible understanding that's 2,400 a day. That's 98 per hour. That's one every 34 seconds. The furnaces of the concentration camps could not have kept up with that number. It is right, it is right to demand justice for war criminals. How much more is justice demanded of a nation that willfully murders its own children? Friends, it's found in Scripture. One of the things that God prohibited his children from participating in was the wicked act of sacrificing their children to pagan gods. It has always been that the wickedness of man's heart given over to sin will sacrifice the most valuable, the most precious to our wicked desires. Friends, we need to clearly and certainly live holy in a wicked world. That's the first call for us today. Do not grow weary of exposing wickedness for what it is and the danger and destruction that it brings. I want you to hear me very clearly. We declare and expose sin not because we're mad, not because we're angry. By the way, if you are mad and angry, you need to get your heart right. Right? 
That's not a right and appropriate motivation here. We declare what is sin and what is wicked for two things. Number one, for the innocent. Those 61 million babies had no voice. They had no court of appeals to go to. No judge that would stay their execution. We must be the voice for the voiceless. But number two, because we love our neighbors. Living beside us right now are families who are missing children because they chose to abort their own children. They know that destruction. We need to speak a word of truth to them, not only to rescue future children, but to to rescue future destruction that sin brings. All sin brings about destruction. From gossip to genocide, all sin destroys. If you love your neighbor, you'll speak truth to your neighbor. Dear friend, that is sin. God hates sin. Because all sin destroys. Let us be a people who do not participate in the worthless deeds of darkness. Let us live righteously. And in our righteousness, may we, in boldness and obedience, expose wickedness for what it is.